In the fall of 1992, a new song was released that would become one of the most recognizable love songs in all of animated film. Leia Salonga and Brad Kane sang the duet that would capture the hearts and imaginations of romantics all around the world. The song promises a new perspective on life and on love. Do you know which song I'm referring to? Okay, let me give you another clue. I heard a couple whispers out there. The characters in the animation sing this song while exploring the world that they've always known, but from a different vantage point. Know the song yet? Let me give you a few lines from the middle part of the song. Unbelievable sights, indescribable feeling, soaring, tumbling, freewheeling through an endless diamond sky. <laughs> Hopefully by now you've guessed the name of this song in your head, and if not, the chorus will give it away. The duet sing, a whole new world. Don't you dare close your eyes. 100,000 things to see, hold your breath, it gets better. The, the world that they already knew well from the ground level became a whole new world from this new vantage point as they flew around on this magic carpet. This ballad of love is capped off as Aladdin and Jasmine fade into the night sky. Let me share this whole new world with you, a whole new world that's where we'll be, a thrilling chase, a wondrous place for you and me. Well, for Aladdin and Jasmine, a whole new world was a new perspective on the world that they already knew, with a little bit of magic dashed in. This was a new, real world that they were experiencing together before they hadn't realized certain truths. They hadn't experienced or expressed certain feelings, and they especially enjoyed this experience along with each other. Now, there were truths, affections, and a relationship that catalyzed this experience for them into a new reality, a whole new world. And I wonder if you've ever experienced this, a new world opened to you by a new experience, a new relationship, a previously unknown truth. Now, not every new world is a true world, right? Not every world is actually shaped by truth or aligns with God's truth. But whether you realize it or not, Jesus is building a whole new world that is as real as the air in you and I's lungs. He called it the kingdom of God, but we're calling it this morning a whole new world. And guess what? You're invited. You're invited. And so let me give you the big idea for this morning. The whole new world that Jesus is building is a world of truth, love, and relationships and you're invited. I'm going to repeat that and slow down just for those taking notes to be able to get it down. The whole new world that Jesus is building is a world of truth, love, and relationships, and you're invited. But how do I know that you're invited? Well, we get that very clearly because of who is offered this invitation to this whole new world in our small letter today. We've already read it, so I, what I want you to do is I want you to picture the scene with me. Onesimus, a runaway servant, winds up in a Roman prison. We don't know for what crime he ended up there, but he lands next to, in the cell next to an apostle, the apostle Paul. After giving him a moment to catch his breath, Paul 
probably calls over to him, hey, you doing all right? Nesmus calls back, yeah, I mean, the shackles are a little tight. Paul says, tell me about it. So what's your name? Onesimus. What's yours? Paul. But that's not really important right now. Have you ever heard of the name Jesus of Nazareth? And he goes on to preach to him the truth of the gospel of God's free grace and forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And now because of Jesus' resurrection, a whole new world of love and life is breaking into this dark present age of slavery to sin. And Paul invites him to this new Christian world. And Onesimus says, yes. And if Onesimus can be invited to this whole new world, then you and I are definitely invited as well. In this little letter, there are real invitations to real people in real places with real challenges to live into the new real world that Jesus is building. And there are three facets of this new world, this Christian world that these people in this text and we here today are invited into. And it is a world of unshakable truth, expressed love, and changed relationships. And we'll dive into all three of those uh, in order. So let's begin with the first facet of this Christian world that Jesus is building in our world today, and that is unshakable truth, a world of unshakable truth. And if you're taking notes, you want to keep your pen handy through this main point and actually through the next one as well. So these first two main points, we'll have a few sub points in each one of these, and so I just want to make sure you're aware of that even as we're going, but as we're uh, jumping into this text, I also invite you to keep your copy of God's Word open. If you have that copy of God's Word from your pew, it's on page 1,000, which I think is pretty cool. So it's on page 1,000. Paul, though, in this text, he meets this runaway slave. So getting into the story here, he meets him and invites him to the truth of Jesus. Onesimus responds to Paul's invitation to Christ in faith. We don't know then how long they were in prison together, but it, wasn't, it was long enough, though, for Onesimus to mature, mature enough to return home to his master under Paul's direction. Paul sends Onesimus home with this very letter. And so let's look at how Paul actually introduces himself in verse 1. Look in verse 1 with me. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. A prisoner for Christ Jesus. Not a prisoner of Caesar not a prisoner of the Roman Empire, but a prisoner for Christ Jesus. We see Paul's active mindset even while in prison. Here we get the indication that he is actually trusting in God's sovereignty. And that's the first of three unshakable truths that we'll see in our text this morning that Paul shows us. And that is this, God is sovereign. First unshakable truth that we'll see is that God is sovereign. See this in a couple different ways. But first, we see in who he writes to and how he describes who he's writing to. Look there at the end of verse 1. It starts the next paragraph. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Even while in prison, Paul views himself still very much at work in the ministry, inviting people to come to faith in Jesus. 
And at the end of the book, in verse 24, he mentions four more brothers who are fellow workers. He mentions Mark, he mentions Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Yes, he's in prison, but Paul concludes this must be towards some goal of building up this new Christian world. And so he continues working. He doesn't know why he's there, but he's there. And so he trusts in God's sovereignty, which helps us see that Paul believes that nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by chance. He believes that Jesus is so orchestrating reality so that his glory is maximized in the world. And he is doing so much more than we can even see. And that's what Paul is on the lookout for, even, or better yet, especially while in prison. Onesimus lands into the cell next to him, and after sharing the gospel and celebrating a new brother in Christ, Paul gets to know his cellmate's story even just a little bit more. So use your imagination with me in this scene. Paul asks, so where are you from? Uh, Oh, Onesimus responds, Colossae. Paul's like, oh, No way. I've been there before. What part of Colossae? Oh, a small part you've probably never heard of over on the west side. Paul says, hmm, I've been to the west side. Who'd you work for? He says, Philemon. I know Philemon. And Paul starts to put the pieces together. You can almost see the light bulb. Aha, that's why God actually put him in the cell next to me. And when Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, he urges Philemon to see God's sovereignty in the whole situation. Look at verse 15. That's where we see this most clearly. For this, Paul says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul hones in on the invisible hand of God to prove Philemon, to Philemon, that his servant's escape was not an accident. It did not catch God by surprise. Brothers and sisters, that's living in this whole new world that Jesus is building, where you see that God's sovereignty is really working for his glory and for our good. This is how you put that together. Rather than seeing the church as helping you survive your job, recognize that Jesus has given you a job because he wants to expand his church. You don't just have a church to survive your illness. You have an illness because Jesus wants to strengthen his church by your testimony of faith. And man, did we see that with Mickey Fulbright. What a faith-strengthening example she was. We don't have a church community so that we can just survive the parenting years. We have kids because Jesus wants us to have disciple-making opportunities in our own home. Your life is strategic, and because God is sovereign, we can trust him with the details. Onesimus didn't know that he was going to wind up next to an apostle, but he did. And Paul invited him to faith in Jesus. And Paul now says to Philemon, You can receive him back as a beloved brother, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Oh, man. He says that at the end of 16. Onesimus has become a part of God's redeemed family. He has been saved and forgiven through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's the second unshakable truth that we see in our text this morning that Paul explains to us. Jesus saves and forgives. 
Jesus saves and forgives. Onesimus is invited into this world of forgiveness of your sins. Paul opens up the letter in verse 3, wishing grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace that flows from the cross welcomes runaway, repentant sinners into God's redeemed family. And by calling God our Father here in this verse, Paul is showing that the family that Onesimus is now being welcomed into as a beloved brother is God's redeemed family. He then calls Philemon to receive his runaway servant as he would receive Paul himself. Look in verse 17 with me. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Because Onesimus has come to the knowledge of Christ and submit himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, he is a saint and a co-heir in Christ. Paul then displays for Philemon the forgiveness that Onesimus has already received from his Savior. He displays that to Philemon by instructing Philemon to charge any wrong done to him by Onesimus to his account, to Paul's account. Paul says, any retribution he deserves, I'll take care of that myself. I'll carry the wrongs he's formerly committed against you. He didn't know what he was doing then. Do you hear Paul echoing Jesus' words from the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In a real tangible way, Paul is putting that truth, those words of Jesus into practice and saying, Philemon, he didn't know what he was doing. Charge his sins to my account. Maybe we hear echoed the words about Jesus from Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We see here Paul's belief in Jesus' saving and forgiving power by then modeling that forgiveness to Philemon. And how beautiful is that? But it was not only Philemon who was to receive him back. It was also the church who met in Philemon's home. And this brings us to the third unshakable truth that Paul explains to us, that the local church matters. That the local church matters. God is sovereign. Jesus saves and forgives, but he saves into a family, into a redeemed family. And so the local church matters. I'm guessing you didn't walk in to the auditorium today, expecting to be talking about the living room of a first-century Christian, did you? Look in verse 2 with me. And Apphia, our sister, who might have been Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, most likely Philemon's son. And don't miss this, the church in your house. Ground zero for this Christian world that Jesus is building is none other than local churches. It is to these three individuals and the church gathered in their home that Paul wished God's grace and peace towards. And in this address, we see that Paul actually intends for this letter to be read in the context of a local assembly of that church in Philemon's living room. And why do you think that is? Probably for the same reason that God designed for this letter to be included in our canon of Scripture. And I think it's this reason. God's unshakable truth invites his people to live out 
that unshakable truth in the context of brothers and sisters in Christ. God's unshakable truth invites, and actually I think it does more than that. God's word actually shows us that it's impossible to grow deeper into Christ in isolation. The Bible has no idea for a Christian in isolation away from a local assembly. The New Testament knows nothing of that. And so we need the church because God made it that way. And because that's where the glory of Christ is. Did you know that the letter to Philemon was not the only letter that Philemon carried back to, or sorry, that Onesimus carried back to Colossae? He also carried Paul's letter to the Colossians. You can read more on that in Colossians 4, 7 and following. I'll give you time to do that uh, in, in your time, not now. But talking about, talking about the local church and that's where the glory of Christ is, in the first chapter of Colossians, Paul explains that he's been made a minister for the sake of the church to make the word of God fully known. He reveals then that the mystery hidden for ages would be that it is in the church where one can find the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, the, the you there, that is a plural you. We, we say you guys in Indiana. They say you guys in the Northeast. Down in the South, they say y'all. We don't, I mean, you may say y'all, I don't know, but that's what Paul is saying here. It's a plural you. And so he's saying that the riches of the glory of this mystery is Christ in y'all, in the church. The hope of glory, the local church matters. We need brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers around us to express love to and to grow deeper in faith with. Paul sends Onesimus, not just back to Philemon. He sends him back to a local church where Paul then says at the end of the letter, I'm actually going to prepare a guest room. I'm going to come visit you. Make sure you're walking in step with the gospel. Paul is saying that these unshakable truths are to be what characterize this whole new world that Jesus is building. God is sovereign. Jesus saves and forgives. The local church matters. These are what Paul invited Onesimus into. And this is what Paul reminds Philemon that he had been welcomed into. But this unshakable truth is just the first facet of this Christian world that you're invited into. The second facet that you're invited into is the Christian world of expressed love. Christian world of expressed love. Love is a popular word in American culture, is it not? We define it by itself. Love is love, our culture says. I don't really know what that means, personally. But what I do know is that Paul and the rest of Scripture know nothing of love as merely a feeling or a sexual activity. The world of Christian love that Jesus is building is one where commitments are made and followed through on, all for the sake of love for Christ and his body. Paul does not merely invite Philemon to a feeling of love, but to live out and express his love in real, tangible ways. We see this first show up in uh, verses 4 to 7. So if you have your Bible, look there, back there with me, starting in verse 4. 
I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We see Paul displaying his love for Philemon here by expressly honoring Philemon. And that's the first way that we express love is by honoring, by expressing honor. In verse 5, Paul honors Philemon's love and faith that he has towards Jesus and other believers. Surely that's, that's God at work in Philemon. But Paul recognizes Philemon's submission to the Lord's call on his life. And he says in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Or in our words, when I remember you, I thank God for you. Or even more simply, I'm thankful for you. Because Paul is thankful for Philemon, he honors him publicly for his expressions of love. Look in verse 7 again. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And doesn't that just make you righteously jealous? I would love for that to be said of me come the end of my life. That my, man, my heart was refreshed in Christ because of the joy that I had being around him. And of course, it would all be for God's glory, not trying to make it all about me, but I just love the words that Paul says here about Philemon, and I, I hope they can be said of me someday. Paul expresses his honor to Philemon and to the church there of Philemon publicly, but in letter form. Letter form would be much more private in our day and age, would it not? Had this letter been private between Paul and Philemon and Apphia and Archippus and their local church, and it been kept private there, never included in our scripture, how precious that still would have been to that local church, to hear an apostle talk up Philemon, the guy in whose house we're meeting, that the love, the joy, the comfort that he experienced, yeah, like Paul, I, I experienced that too from Philemon. Oh man, like how sweet that would have been, but instead it's gone public and we now can see Paul's honoring of Philemon. And I wonder what it would look like if the Christian world of expressing our love for one another by honoring one another became so rampant that even in private expressions of honor became so visible to the world around us that it was unmistakable. Now, a private displays of honor could easily look like sending a text, making a phone call. But Parkside, what about writing letters to one another? How cool would it be if we overwhelmed the Brownsburg USPS with how many letters we sent to one another, honoring one another? That would be so cool. And I love that idea so much. I want to challenge you with that this week. And so we've tried to make it expedient for you. We've got a roll of stamps at the back because maybe you're like me and haven't bought stamps your entire life. 
We've also got some envelopes back there to fit any shape of, of paper, uh, printer paper, uh, notebook paper. But I encourage you, if you have 10 minutes this week, take those 10 minutes, think of some, an, another member here at Parkside. Make sure you grab one of those envelopes and a stamp if you don't have those at home and, and write a letter. Just, just let them know what you, what you think, what you're thankful to the Lord for about them. Write that letter. It would be awesome if Parkside Bible Church overwhelmed Brownsburg USPS this week with letters of honor to one another. And so we'll have that back at the back for you to pick up after the service. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is building a whole new world of expressed love. And one way we do that is by honoring one another. So let's compete this week. Let's do actually what Paul says in Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. Who's going to win this week at honoring someone, at outdoing someone else at honoring them? Expressing honor is one way that we love in this new Christian world Jesus is building. And another second way is by expressing affection is by expressing affection. If love says, I'm committing myself to you, then affection says, I actually really do like you. I really like being around you. And if you finish reading this letter to Philemon and don't sense the, the affection that Paul has for Onesimus or Philemon, and the affection that Philemon has for his fellow Christians, then you missed a huge part of this letter. In the opening paragraph to Philemon, Paul makes clear that he loves the way that Philemon expresses his affection. I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. He's like, dude, you love really well. You love really well. And I'm hearing left and right about your expressions of affection that have refreshed brothers and sisters. And I love hearing every single one of them. On this basis, on the basis of Paul's love for Philemon and Philemon's love for the saints, he makes this appeal to him. He tells Philemon that his position as an apostle actually gives him the authority to command Philemon what he should do. Yet, like a parent who uses love and logic, he says in verse 9, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Now, commands can be loving. Canon, don't run into the middle of the road because I love you, that, right? That's a loving command. But Paul here, he decides to be gentle, respectful, as respectful as possible given, I think, Philemon standing in this local church. He doesn't want to make Philemon less than for these people. He wanted to actually build up Philemon's reputation. So Philemon loves others well. Paul loves Philemon. Paul also loves Onesimus. He calls Onesimus my child in verse 10 of sincere affection. He says in verse 12, look there, look in verse 12, I am sending him, Onesimus, back to you, sending my very heart. Oh, the affection for Onesimus is oozing out of Paul. Philemon is now able to receive Onesimus back as a beloved brother, as though he were Paul himself. And it's though, as though Paul is saying, dude, you've loved me well, brother. So well. 
and I've been refreshed by your love. I love you too, brother. And the man you see standing right in front of you, the one you know well, who handed you this letter, this is my beloved son. He is my very heart. I love him that deeply, as if I were the one standing in front of you. Philemon, please receive him as a deeply loved brother. Guys, what if Jesus was serious when he said, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another? What if Jesus was serious when he said that? The world would see that our walk with Jesus is as real as, as anything else they think is real. When they see tangibly our commitment of love displayed in our expressions of affection, they would be convinced. You might be even writing your honor letter this week and expressing your affections. You might want to use some of the words that Paul even uses here. So we express our honor, we express our love, our affection. And the third way we see Paul display this love, his love, is by expressing desire. It's by expressing desire. Paul expresses many desires throughout this little tiny letter. Some in prayers, some in appeals, some in promises, and others in hopes for deliver deliverance from prison. But the center point of Paul's desire for Philemon can be found in verse 6. Look at this short prayer with me in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This little prayer comes right after Paul honoring Philemon for the love that he has toward Jesus and all the saints, then he says that he is praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And at first glance, this seems to be saying something about Philemon's personal evangelism, sharing of your faith. We, we often use language similar to that in our day, but that would be a little odd given the whole rest of the letter. Paul really doesn't say anything else about evangelism, the rest of the letter. Let's, let's dig in here. Let's see what Paul is saying. The word used here for sharing is the Greek word that you may have heard before, koinonia. Koinonia. There are churches who use koinonia for their community groups because the idea of koinonia is fellowship, is partnership, is community. And so what Paul means here, and I think what he's uh, referring to, is that Paul is desirous of Philemon's partnership of faith to become effective, to become realized. He wants Philemon's common faith in the gospel to be proven true, to be effective. And so Paul is sending Onesimus back to him somewhat as a test for Philemon. Is Philemon going to walk in step with the gospel? Is, he, is his faith going to be a, a partner faith to Paul's? And Paul is saying, I want you, I desire for you to receive him back. And Paul's central desire for Philemon is not, at the core, Philemon's happiness, but his holiness. In sending Onesimus back, Paul desired for Philemon to evidence a 
or, or display a real spirit-empowered faith. He desired Philemon to live as a partner in this whole new world that Jesus is building of unshakable truth and expressed love. Remember, though, Paul actually makes this desire known in the context of a prayer to God. It's like an intercession-type prayer. He didn't keep it to himself, though. He let Philemon know that he was praying this for him. So before I get to the question of whether or not you are letting others know that you're praying for them, let me start with the prior question. Are you praying for others? Do you know others well enough to be praying for them? Do you pray for others in your Sunday school class or your community group? Do you pray for Pastor Justin each week as he's preparing his sermon? Man, I'll tell you what, in light of that, I I want to honor some people who expressed their desire for me this week as I was preparing this sermon. They expressed that their prayer was that God would speak through this sermon. So I want to honor and recognize Jesse Ruzik, Gary Buck, Jim Keim, Len Overton, Steve Bush, Justin Cook, Michael Lawson, and Barb Graves. Thank you. Thank you. Expressing our desire for others' holiness, for others' growth in grace, for others' steadfastness of faith is just what we do in this new Christian world of expressed love. Paul prayed that Philemon would pass the test and welcome Onesimus back as more than a bondservant. And in this, we're introduced to Paul's third and final facet of this Christian world that you're invited into this morning, and it's this, a world of changed relationships. This whole new world that Jesus is building that you're invited to is a world of unshakable truth, expressed love, and changed relationships. And here I want to bring to you the summit of Paul's purpose in writing this letter. Paul wants to keep Onesimus with him, right? He wants to keep him with him, but he respects the societal implications of this runaway servant's obligation to his master, Philemon. Paul's expressed love for both Onesimus and Philemon is clear, especially in verse 13 and 14. And so let's look back there, how, how Paul's expressing this love in this relationship. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Okay, Paul, we get it. You're being a gentleman. You're being respectful. Just get to the point. He goes on in verse 15. Look back at, at your text. This is so cool. For this, perhaps, is why he was departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Paul is not merely asking Philemon here to receive Onesimus back as a, as a useful servant again. We saw that. He wasn't useful, then he, he's now useful both to Paul and he will be to Philemon. He's not just saying, receive him back as a useful servant again. He's not merely asking for Philemon to forgive and cancel Onesimus' debt. Paul is telling him, you've got a completely changed relationship with this guy. <laughs> 
He's not only your brother in the flesh, or as we would say, ethnically, but he is now your forever brother in the Lord. (laughs) Oh man, what this shows us in real life form is the same truth preached that Paul preached to the Galatians. In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Jesus. This means that the societal distinctions that may have previously kept us from being one in Christ Jesus are leveled at the cross. Christ's world of change relationships fuses together unlikely people into forever brothers and sisters. This means that the stratified societal distinctions that our culture wants to impose on us will not work. Societal distinctions of blue collar and white collar are flattened at the level of the cross of Jesus. Those with graduate degrees and those with GEDs, those with married kids and those who are single or widowed adults, those who are young and those who are old, those who are financially well off and those living paycheck to paycheck. What I'm saying is this, All of the societal distinctions that work to dissolve relationships between brothers and sisters in Christ will not work. Why? Because of our common faith in Christ Jesus. Because our common faith in Christ levels the field and allows us to see that the glue to human relationships is not mere surface level similarities, but it is the gospel of Jesus. The glue to human relationships in this new world is the gospel of Jesus. And so listen, if you don't desire a relationship with someone else because you're white collar and they're blue collar, or if you don't want to have a relationship with someone else because they uh, are from a different generation than you, you are missing the point of what Paul is saying here. You are viewing something else as the glue to your relationship with someone else rather than the gospel. And I hope you're convicted this morning. Philemon and Onesimus could not have been on more opposite sides of the societal spectrum. Yet Philemon was to receive Onesimus back as a brother forever. And that's how we change now. That's how, that changes how we live now. Every person from here on out is considered a forever brother, a forever sister, or a potential brother or sister. And maybe I'm repeating myself a little, but I'm fine with that. In the whole new world that Jesus is building of unshakable truth and express love, our relationship to everyone has been changed. What does that look like? Looks like this. Gabby Forsyth, you're my forever sister, and I love that. Ross Campbell, you're my forever brother in Christ, and I'm so grateful for that reality. Stephen Becky Shelton, you're my forever elder brother and sister, and I'm so thankful for you. Rochelle Powers, I love that you're my forever sister. I love worshiping beside you here at Parkside, and I can't wait for the day to be around Jesus' throne worshiping next to you there. 
Steve Bush, my fellow soldier, I love the fact that a million years from now, we'll be forever brothers. John, my fellow worker, I love that one day we'll be able to toast Jesus' victory over sin and death at a B-dubs in the new heavens and new earth. (laughs) Jim Cook, you've been a spiritual father to me, and I'm so thankful for you. Diana Halsey, you've been a spiritual mother to so many here, and I love that you're my forever sister. Guys, we could keep going. Every single relationship that we have in the gospel, the gospel is the glue. It's not politics. It's not affinity groups. It's not because we like this restaurant or that app. We could keep going down, I could keep going down the line, but I'll stop for now. The gospel changes all of our relationships. The gospel is the glue. The gospel, actually what it does is it dissolves superficial affinity groups and fuses together maybe what would have been mere acquaintances into forever brothers and sisters. And today, through this letter from Paul, you're invited to live out that reality in that new world of truth, love, and relationships. If, you've, if you're here and you've never by faith entered the reality of Jesus's new world, I'd ask you to tap someone on the shoulder, find someone around you and ask them how you can understand and believe how it is that Jesus saves and forgives runaway sinners like you and me. Today could be the beginning of a bright new future for you. If you're a Christian, though, who's here struggling to live into this new world, this Christian world that Jesus is building, come up and talk to me or find another pastor. Talk to a trusted friend. See how your life is strategic for building up this new world. Remember, no one grows deeper in Christ in isolation. We need the church. You need the church. And if you haven't committed to a local church, Look at this, you're in a local church this morning. I'd encourage you, if you haven't committed to a local church, maybe become a member of Parkside. If you have, though, and you are a member here, how meaningful of a member are you? When was the last time you expressed your love for another member of church by spending intentional spiritual time and doing intentional spiritual good to them? When was the last time you expressed honor for a person? Don't forget, we'll have envelopes and stamps at the back to pick up for your honor letter this week. Let's overwhelm USPS. But how about we do this? Let's get down to the nuts and bolts. How about we do this this week? Let's get even more grounded in the gospel. Let's dive into God's word personally every day so that it's unshakable truth changes us. Then let's express our love to one another, honoring one another, praying for one another. And finally, let's live into the reality of changed relationships. That's the much more real world that Jesus is building, much more real and longer lasting than taxes and politics, YouTube, Netflix, media, What will you do with this whole new world that Jesus is building? You're invited. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for